I went to a marvelous party. Most people don't even know this. The underlying ideas don't have enough depth to last for an entire season. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California. It's the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, the Internet's first live comedy variety show. Featuring special correspondents from the worlds of entertainment, politics, and lousy relationships. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you through the dinnerpartyshow.com with your hosts, New York Times best-selling novelists Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Welcome to the Dinner Party Show special edition Road Reports with Christopher Rice, live from the road, um, on tour for the promotion of his book, his new novel, The Heavens Rise, uh, his supernatural thriller, I think I should say. Christopher, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Where in the world is Christopher Rice? I'm in New Orleans, baby. New I'm Orleans. Home. New Orleans. Absolutely. Oh, back home, sir. I, uh, How the- are things? They're great. I landed at midnight last night. I had probably what was one of the longest days of the tour, knock on wood, what I hope will be one of the longest days of the tour. I woke up at 3.30 in the morning in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and I flew to Atlanta. I had a full day of events in Atlanta, and then at about, I guess, 11 o'clock last night, I went back to the Atlanta airport and got on a plane and came here. And as soon as the ground control you know, stuck their head in the plane to make the announcement about where the baggage claim would be. And I just speak that with New Major Orleans. Tom. Yes, exactly. <laughs> ground control spoke to Major Tom. It's Major Tom I- out here. <laughs> this is ground control. We can't find him anywhere. But it sounded more like this. Is Major Tom here? This is ground control. Welcome to New Orleans, y'all. Your bags will be on Carousel 1. How's the old Major Tom? Where you right. at, Shy? Right. So, Not um, you were, when we station. last left you, you were on your way to Lexington, Kentucky, right? You had just come from Saratoga Springs. Yes. Where your horse naturally won. Yes, it was like the horse racing leg of the tour. I went from Saratoga to bluegrass country. Um, it was an amazing event that we did in Lexington, Kentucky. And I have to say, and maybe you had some experience with that 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 drunken lady when you all went on book tour together. Uh, the, the drunken the rural, whore. Everybody the drink. Drunk, the fuck are you doing? Everybody drink. The fuck are you doing? <laughs> the fuck are you doing? Um, these events that are in uh, less urban areas are usually the most well attended. The people are the most excited. They're the most gracious. It was a. It was the longest signing that she and I had done together on the tour. It was three hours Excellent. of continuous signing. It was great, and the store was stunning. It was a, a independent chain. What's the name? A Joseph Beth Booksellers. Did you meet Joseph and Beth? I did not. They meet were not Joseph there. 
No, I believe it's two last names of the original <laughs> founders of the store. We, you and I were talking about that, right? We wanted to know where the name came from. I'm sure. Um, that sounds like just the sort of thing I'd want to know. I'm always Eric, the, the least interesting amount information. That's the thing I want. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Quotidian Details with Eric Shaw Quinn. <laughs> I would say Arcania with Eric Shaw Quinn. Arcania. That's going to be the name of your store on Royal Street. Absolutely. Um, it was, uh, it, anyway, it was a great event and it was an absolutely stunning store and it was an, a wonderful group of people. Uh, but to get back to how little sleep I've had, so then I had to fly to Atlanta. Actually, <laughs> next morning I had to fly to Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Or alternately how much coffee you've had. I, I started drinking coffee again. I'm back on the coffee wagon. Uh, okay, so off. this interview will actually continue for three to five hours after we're done. This is going to be a five-hour episode of the dinner right, party Right, we'd show. say we'd throw it up on the web, but... We kind of already threw up on the web. Exactly. With minimal interjections from Eric Shaw Quinn. That's right. I'm just going to sit quietly while Christopher describes where they parked, the ticketing process, (laughs) baggage claims, the drive, what route they took in from the airport. Listen, I'm already a giant. The driver's backstory. You're a giant what? You know I'm a giant plane and travel nerd already, oh so don't get God. me started about airports. You can put some coffee in me and get me talking about planes and airports. That's and we're why I shifted it back to book tour for the the <laughs> Heaven's Rise, your exciting new, uh, what is it? Supernatural thriller, that's it. Not just a novel, it's a supernatural thriller. But we need to we do need to talk about Fort Walton Beach and why I was in Fort Walton Beach because it's not traditionally a book tour so stop. So after for, Lexington you went to Fort Walton Beach. Yes. To get yes, away after, from all the horses, I assume is the main reason. The horses were chasing me and so I had to go as close to water as possible because the horses are afraid of you the ocean. You can lead a horse to water. Yes, exactly, but you can't make it swim the breaststroke. That's right. They hate that. They do. They do. They do. So, okay. So the Fort Walton Beach story, I'll tell the short version, um, which will only take 30 minutes. The, uh, <laughs> I was at a conference in Mobile, Alabama. I'll and something. It, it, why don't you get your knitting needles out or maybe a sketch pad? I'll get started. Start one of those iPad games. Uh-huh. You're so fun. I falsely, okay, the short version is this. I falsely accused a bookstore there of not stocking my books for homophobic no, no, slash no, religious no, stop, reasons. stop. That is not what happened. You got Michelle Bachman. That's what happened to you. Some <laughs> lunatic told you, some yes. lunatic falsely accused the Fort Walton Beach Books a Million of not stocking your books because they hate gay people or something. And. You believed and, them and repeated the story. That's what happened. Yes. You got gullible. You didn't falsely report. You repeated some, a false report that you were given. That's what. I appreciate you. Yes, exactly. I appreciate you filling in the record in this way because I tend to blame myself for the whole thing. But what I do blame myself for is going onto Facebook and posting about it in detail and specifics without first contacting the store or checking my facts. And I think that's something that could be a valuable, you know, a teaching moment for all of us, if you'll let me Oprah this for a moment. I, you know, like, honestly, like, how often do we do that? Like, with the internet and with the immediacy of the 24-hour news cycle, we hear something and we're immediately repeating it and... Nobody, including, unfortunately, the news media or even the government often, bothers to fact check what it is that they're um, reporting. Remember that woman, um, 
got fired from the Department of, I'm going to say agriculture, but I can't remember, um, because of the Breitbart effect. The Breitbart people right. posted a, a Franken-bit portion of a speech that she made where she was actually yes. talking about not jumping to conclusions, but they only told the part about how she jumped to a conclusion. You know, it was if somebody presented this story about you, but only the part about how you had, you know, besmirched this poor bookstore. and didn't include that you flew there from Lexington, Kentucky. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, also there's the, um, well, that was a different story, but we covered it on the show because we always talk about Internet access. Right. Since we're an Internet radio show. The woman who just falsely accused her husband of child molestation because they were having a dispute and, you know, 50,000 people retweeted the post. Uh, luckily, this didn't get that out of hand, but it did bring a day of hell down on the store itself. And they were deluged with phone calls, largely because mom reposted my post and because of the way it was formatted at the time it looked like they were censoring her books as well and I guess a lot more people care about her books <laughs> because they started calling the store and finally some locals got in touch with me and said listen this isn't true and this store is really going through hell today and you need to apologize to them and they were right so I did and, and as part of the after a deep discussion with my best friend and co-host Eric Shaw Quinn <laughs> We decided, you know, I should ask them, you know, how they would like me to make it up to them. And they very graciously, I thought, invited me to do an event at their store. How lovely. Yeah, and it was lovely. And you lovely. did. And I did. And it was a lovely event. It was a nice turnout of people for a discussion. It was a more intimate event than I've been doing with my mom because it was a smaller crowd. But it was wonderful. And everybody at the store was wonderful. And I said to them, you know, I didn't. I didn't lead with the story during the event itself because I didn't want to make the store. I don't know. I didn't want to make the. I didn't want to dredge it back up again if they. Right. Didn't, no. You know? Enough said. They didn't. They didn't introduce me as this is that writer that unleashed hell this on is our that store. Asshole. <laughs> falsely <laughs> reported. Right, and now he's here to you know uh, make good and and eat crow for an hour. But no, it was a great event. Um, and again, it's that similar effect of if you go where people are not in, used to having every author's. If you go outside of New York and L.A., where everyone's so blasé about the whole thing, there's this wonderful uh, hunger for author events and for a conversation about writing and, and writers. But I have to tell you, this is my favorite part. I was staying at um, a lovely hotel. On the uh, right on the beach. Oh, and wonderful. the um, yeah, those beautiful beaches down there. They're like sugar white sand. Absolutely, and, like confectioner's sugar. Uh, uh, indeed, but the the woman who ran social media for the hotel clearly she was not in the habit of of having authors stay in her hotel or or um, you know she didn't know a lot about author events and so she came up to me and she said, Mister Rice, I just want to ask you a question. I see that tonight at the bookstore you'll be reading your book. Are you going to read the whole book? <laughs> Wouldn't that be daunting? I mean, I said, "Oh no, ma'am, it's now about the Iliad." <laughs> right? Get comfortable. <laughs> Catheters are available on your left. Right. Yeah. Coffee. So on that the right. was really fun. Yeah. Coffee indeed. Coffee and catheters. Our new bookstore. <laughs> And now a bookstore hosting full live readings. That's of books. right. Coffee and catheters. Right. The author comes in and reads the entire thing. It costs one thousand dollars a person, but <laughs> the author actually reads you the entire book. Absolutely. So anyway, that was that was the Fort Walton story. Um, 
And I, you know, like we were talking about those beaches, like those, I, I, I was sort of, I had a deep connection to that area. We vacationed there throughout my childhood. We owned a bunch of different, um, houses over the years there, not like all at once. Um, but we had places in Fort, uh, not, <laughs> not like a monopoly game or anything. <laughs> Pensacola place slum lords of Fort Walton right. Beach. We um we actually still have a condo in Navarre Beach, Florida. If anyone would like it, we've been trying to sell it now for about eight years. Uh and it's still on the market. And it's but we, gorgeous. It's gigantic it and beautiful. And and so, but I, I think I sent you a picture and I posted one on Twitter as soon as I got there of that beach, you know, with that just right. sugar white sand, like uh. you said. And, and it was a gray day, but the water was clear. And so it was, it was truly emerald. They I call the area the emerald I love gray days coast. at the beach. Yeah. You the, love gray days, period. I really do. But gray days at the beach are so romantic. They're so... Jane Austen, they're so Charlotte Bronte, you know, they're so put on a big bulky cable knit sweater and thrust your hands down in your pockets and lean into the wind and walk down yeah. the beach and ah, uh, just I, childhood memories of those beaches, yeah, such fond memories of Dauphin Island, um, Destin Beach. I got, you know, I oh, got yeah. a terrible case of TB, um. At Destin Beach, no, um, titty burn. <laughs> you know where you you do the uh, the kickboard for too long, and the wind, the blowing wind, just oh. literally like erodes all of the skin off of your poor little six year old nipples, and you wind up like oh. with your tits on fire, tossing and turning all night long. I think that's an Alicia Keys song. Oh no, that's Girl on Fire, not Tits My on tits Fire. My tits are on fire. fire. Yeah, that's it. From now, too much TB. Have you had TB, TB before? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I was never big on going in the water because I didn't want a shark to eat me. But oh, um, that's right. You were post Jaws. Uh huh. I've I never heard of sharks as a child. Like there was no. I didn't know they existed. The big te- barracudas I had vaguely heard of, and gar, but that was in the river, in Cane River. Gar. Have you ever heard? Did of gar, gar have a reputation? Yeah. Do they have a reputation for attacking people? I. They did when I was a child because they were fish with teeth. They, it's the same. It's yeah. the um. It's the piranha syndrome. Like piranhas are about the size of a go- a large goldfish. You know, like. If they bothered you, you could really just sort of grab them by a handful of them and throw them up on the shore. Like, it would be annoying to be bitten, but it wouldn't be the end of your life. Yeah. And Barana don't attack really the way they've been depicted in movies about, you know, militarized mutant versions of Barana. They, they, I actually saw a nature special where a guy cut himself and got in a pool with a, a bunch of Barana and they completely ignored him. Yeah, like they they're like carrion fish, I think almost. Yes. Like if a dead taper falls into the, you know, and they can sort of pick at it, they will clean the bones, but a, over a long so period. Anyway, the point is, I think that the legend of Gar, maybe I'm wrong about this. I don't know. Party people out there, if you know about Gar, uh, <laughs> Eric Shaw Quinn and the legend The legend of Gar. Of Gar. But I remember Tommy Hennigan saying that a Gar had gone for his gizzard, that he'd gone in swimming in the uh in show and tell in I think third grade at Warren Eastern Elementary School in Natchitoches, Louisiana, Tommy Hennigan said that um, that a, he'd gone in swimming in Cane River Lake and that the agar had gone for him. Um, and he pulled up gone his shirt and shown the mar- showed the mark on his skin, like looked like a big like he'd crawl through a 
rose bush and had a big scratch, but wow. Wow. Okay. Well, that that's a reporting of a gar attack. Granted, it's coming from a third grader. Yeah, and but, not, it's secondhand by another third right. by another former third grader. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but, the, so uh huh. But yeah. So I didn't have the point. Is I swam in the ocean without reservation. There was no sense of there was anything in there. It was a recreational tool, right? It was this surf right. machine that that I was allowed to play in. And I literally would, ju- I would go until they d- dragged me kicking and screaming up the beach back into uh, the motel. But so you went to Destin Beach. Destin was just a little ways east of where I was in Fort Walton. Right. We yeah. originally, I think, were trying to go to Pensacola, but we were so, we were such ignorant white trash that we didn't realize you had to like make reservations. So we just showed hey. up. And, you know, there were no hotel rooms, so we drove around for, like, five hours while my stupid parents tried to find a place that had a hotel room. And the first one that we found was in Destin, so that's where we ended up staying. Let me tell you something. Uh, My parents did the exact same thing in the exact same area. We drove down there without reservations, thinking clearly there will just be a beach lined with Holiday Inns and everything. And we were not able to get in anywhere. And we did finally find a room at the Fort Walton Beach Holiday Inn, which was incidentally torn down since then, but was right where I was staying this time. I was staying practically the lot and um that night we my dad and i ran out into those the ocean which was you know bathtub warm and Uh clear blue water and we were swimming and playing and mom was writing in her diary on the beach and she said it was one of the happiest nights of her life that she could have died the next day a happy woman yeah um then that night i um decided in my typical fashion that the pillows in the hotel room didn't smell right and, Which um, they probably very likely did not. I remember the right. whole motel room did not smell right. Water. <clears throat> I remember the water smelled terrible. Yes. It's the same way. It's just it's different. that rotten it's egg rot- water where you're like, what's the matter with – what is that horrible smell? Oh, it's the shower. Oh, my God. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And it brought me back. But anyway, so in order to shut me up, they, they dabbed Old Spice along the pillow. My dad um, used to have those – you know, remember those white bottles of Old Spice? Yes, that had the, I totally yes. do. They're sort of Crocs. They looked like little yes. Crocs with, the, with the, the gray plastic stopper. Exactly. This is, by the way, the point in the show where your mother goes, wow, they can just talk on and on, on forever. And on. So did you develop a long-term sort of sexual fetish around no, old, old Spice? No, I had – I had a terrible allergy attack in the middle of the night. My mother said there were ropes, her literal words, ropes of snot coming out of my head. (laughs) And that's how the story ends. So it's like beautifully happy memory out on the beach, exorcist moment back at the Holiday Inn. Cue the crepe. They had to tear the hotel down, obviously. Cue the crepe. Right, exactly. Irish crepe hanging. That's what we do. The Irish families, we hang the crepe on the good story. Oh, I don't have any real crepe. I mean, the water was smelly and I had the TB and all, but God, it was it was just like that. It was just a perfect sort of beach memory. It's one of the few times my father was ever around to like play. He was mm-hmm. always so busy working and getting another degree in something. And so there are only one or two moments from childhood when he was around. And that was one of them. I had a styrofoam, a chunk of styrofoam, like the lid off a cooler. It wasn't. It was actually 
I don't know. I, they call them boogie boards now or something. Or yes. Kick boards yeah. or something. It was it was like half a surfboard. You would lie on it and kick your feet and go out. And then we would ride in in the waves and they would toss me around and half drown me. And then I would do it again. It was just all day. Terrible yeah, absolutely. sunburn too, probably. Yeah, totally. Now, you know, the interesting thing, too, I don't know if this is crepe hanging, but there is an enormous amount of military bases down there. Eglin Air Force Field is right there. And when you land at the airport, you sort of feel like you're dodging the fighter jets in your little Delta commuter plane. But there's um, a lot of sort of there's a there was a big rash of UFO sightings in a nearby community called Gulf Breeze. And uh-huh. the the lovely woman, Joyce, who was also a, a, a literary agent who was driving me around wrote a book about, this is a great story. She wrote a book um, set there that was supposed to be a murder mystery where someone was fr- setting up the murders to look like UFO abductions. And she went over to where people usually gathered to watch for the UFOs. And there weren't a lot of people there, but there was a police officer there. And so her husband said, Joyce, you should go ask him some research questions for your book. <laughs> he said, oh, I don't know. I don't want to bother him. And they said, no, go ask him. So so she went over there and she said, listen, I'm writing this book. I, I've, I've written a couple books, but there's a waitress gets murdered and her boyfriend uh, drops her body in the ocean and it washes up here. Who would be the law enforcement agency in charge of the investigation? You know, because I know there's like the, it's in the water. Who's it? Blah, blah, blah. So they, they, they answered the question and all that sort of good stuff. The next day, a waitress was murdered and her body was dumped and washed up in that area. Oh, my God. <laughs> did they come find her to question her? Uh, she said apparently they found the, the that the boyfriend had done it, which oh. is how most murders get solved in the first 24 hours. I we watch TV so, shows yeah. about, yeah. How about anyway, how it's it, tricky and really it's some angry family member who just had one last nerve and they got on it. Exactly, uh-huh. exactly. So uh, anyway, that was another good Fort Walton Beach story, but yeah. Isn't that also where all those drones were crashing? You remember there was a story a while back where the Air Force was trying to take up. I tell you what, we need to take a little break here. I'll look it up and we'll have the answer yes. after the break. Um, so we'll leave you at Fort Walton Beach and the next stop is Atlanta, Hotlanta. So tales from Hotlanta and whether or not the drones were crashing at Eglin Air Force Base. Um, right after this, you've been listening to the Dinner Party Show special road report with Christopher Rice from the exciting on-the-road tour for his supernatural thriller, The Heavens Rise. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And I'm Christopher Rice. And we'll be right back. It's time once again for the Dinner Party Show's homemade relationship advice with Jonelle Sams. Hi, this is Jonelle Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have a relationship question, you can send it to me, Care of the Dinner Party Show's Facebook fan page, or at Jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. Well, summer is upon us, and many of you I know are planning vacations in the upcoming summer months. For many, a trip to a romantic resort or tropical cruise can be a chance to meet someone and begin a summer romance that might be ready for harvest in the fall. But for those of us already in relationships or married, planning a summer vacation can be tricky, as this week's listener points out. She writes, Dear Jonelle, my dread grows as each passing day draws ever nearer the days of summer and the uncertainty they bring. Very dramatic, girl. 
My husband, I know, will want to break out the mildew-smelling camping crap, stuff it into the back of his SUV, and drag my ass off into the woods or some lake or river where he can ignore me for hours fishing or torment me with endless walks through the snake and bug-infested hell date with nature. Jonelle, just once, I'd like for us to spend a couple of weeks in Europe or even Mexico or somewhere that's about being inside, walking through history or art. My husband says we can't afford it, but I know he has been looking at RVs, so I wonder why we can't go into debt to get something I'd like for a change, like France. What can I do, Jonelle? I love my husband, but must I endure poison ivy to prove it? Can I change his mind about vacations, or am I doomed? Or worse yet, is my marriage. Signed, All is Lost in the Woods. Dear Lost, hang on. Here's a solution to your vacation woes that may surprise you and which I think could save more marriages than Dr. Phil and Oprah combined. I'm talking about separate vacations. I know. I've seen the ads and the movies and it always looks like everyone is happy and romance is blooming around every bend in the road. But let me ask you something. Have you ever tried to have a picnic on the beach? Sand in your food, smoke blowing in your face, and if the wind dies, the flying insects are like something out of Jurassic Park. In the movies and Coca-Cola TV ads, everyone at the beach picnic is smiling and the food looks lovely and there's not so much as a gnat to be waved away. I I guess what I mean here is don't believe everything you see. We enjoy fantasies as an escape from reality, but just like a picnic on the beach, vacation is nothing but reality. When Merle and I first married, I spent time and effort trying to plan the best vacations that I could, not only so that Merle and I could enjoy time together, but to show appreciation for how hard Merle works all year at the barbershop. And every year it was all sunburns and mosquito bites and hurt feelings. As you well know, Lost, not everyone thinks that the great outdoors is all that great. My Merle would rather be at the dentist than in a fishing boat, baking in the warm summer sun out on Lake Hazard. So I tried the other way. I'd tag along with Merle and his best friend, Olsen Lee Pugh, dragging through the streets of New York, wandering around, wasting my days, looking at pictures that looked like a monkey could have painted them, or sitting half the night listening to some half-dressed teenager caterwauling about love at the top of her lungs in some musical or other. Don't get me wrong. Art can be wonderful if it matches your decor, and I find the theater that Merle and Olsen do very entertaining, but more I suspect because I think they are so cute doing it, but neither are my ideas a vacation. I did my best, but I wasn't happy, and they were not enjoying my company, and Lord knows, I didn't understand half the things they said. And then, one year, I took sick just before it was time to leave on vacation. It wasn't so bad that I didn't insist that Merlin Olson go on. And true enough, I was quick on the mend and ride his rain in a day or two. Well, with Merle away, I spent my time day tripping out to Lake Hazard on fishing excursions and out trapping small game for my taxidermy projects in the woods hereabouts. Well, when Merle and Olson got home, they looked more relaxed than I'd seen them in years, and I had enough ferrets and raccoons for everyone on my Christmas list. Best of all, I finally had the key to planning a successful vacation. I stopped planning for anyone but me. Merle is, of course, welcome to come along trapping and fishing if he wants to, but as he says, if the good Lord had meant for us to be outside, he wouldn't have created Holiday Inn Crown Point. 
and lost, I will tell you there is truth to the old saying that absence makes the heart grow fonder. Many is the time that Merle has come home from vacation from his theater junkets or antique safaris, more than a little tired of his best buddy Olson and more than a little attentive to me. And the gifts I get, they are lovely, but none is better than offering the love of my life a vacation that he finds truly relaxing. The bonus is I get a vacation I enjoy as well. So lost, go to France and let your husband do what he likes best. Chances are he'll like you better for it. And if not, you'll always have Paris. Till next time, I'm Jonelle Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have relationship questions, write to Jonelle Care of The Dinner Party Show Facebook page or to Jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. If Europe is so great, where did all those immigrants come from in the first place? This week, on Tuesday, October 29th, Anne and Christopher head to Dallas, Texas for a joint signing at the Barnes & Noble in Lincoln Park at 7 p.m. Then, on Saturday, November 2nd, they'll be in Los Angeles signing together at the Barnes & Noble at The Grove at 2 p.m. Welcome home. And we're back with the Dinner Party Show very super special uh, cocktail chatter Road Reports edition with Christopher Rice, live from his book tour for the supernatural thriller The Heavens Rise. Christopher, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here on my own show. Okay, so just a little housekeeping. We looked it up during the break, and it was Tyndall Air Force Base, which is near Panama City. Do you know where that is, Christopher? That was about, I I think that was about a two-hour drive from where I was this week in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. So, yes, that would make sense. And when I landed in Fort Walton Beach, I saw a drone actually being flown across the sky near the airport. Yeah, it's really, it's a heavily military area, and it's a heavy Air Force area. I'll tell you, though, and we can move on from the beach uh, as soon as I say this. Uh, One of the things that's great about that is that it results in a lot of unspoiled coastline because the air forces will come right up to the beach, but the beach will still be open to the public, but there won't be a lot of roads leading to it. It's not the Navy. Yeah, exactly. If you walk a good ways, you're suddenly on pristine sand dunes and sea oats with no people for miles. In fact, the entire stretch of beach in between Navarre, where we have our condo that we're still trying to sell, if anyone's in the market, and Pensacola Beach is this 30 miles federally protected coastline that um, that's absolutely beautiful. And I will add this, and then I really will be done with the beach. Jaws 2 was filmed in the area, which if you are a Jaws fan like I am... Yes, there is a scene in Jaws 2 where Roy Scheider is driving along a stretch of beach, which they make out to be Amity, which was originally Martha's Vineyard in the first film in New England. Uh, And he sees a, um, well, there are a lot of scenes in the movie that were filmed. And if you know the area, you will recognize the white sand and the sand dunes and the crystal blue water right away. So I didn't realize that that was filmed down there. That's really, that is interesting. And I guess all the Air Force is because of Cuba. I guess it used to be a threat. Maybe it still is. I have no idea, but it is all over Florida. That's interesting. I I didn't realize that. But yeah, it's a wonderful sort of bonus that there would be miles of undeveloped beach as a result that people actually have access to. Absolutely. So from there, I went to Atlanta and had a very full day in Atlanta. I love Atlanta, too. I said I was on an interview, which I believe we posted on the the website on a local show called Atlanta and Company. 
uh, with some of the most beautiful women I had ever seen working there, making a huge fuss over me as oh, if I was. Yes, I they're, they're beautiful in Atlanta. Everybody's beautiful. I think Atlanta is a home of a lot of beautiful people. It's a very LA kind of effect. I don't know what that's about, but. Well, I always said that being from New Orleans, Atlanta felt like the very pretty older sister who went off to a good school and got her act together. And in New Orleans, we felt like the wild younger brother who was still drinking too much. Oh, yeah. And that's a very good description. Yeah, exactly. So we did a bunch of events there. I did an event at the DeKalb County Library, which was lovely. And uh, then I went and got on a plane again for the second time that day and flew here to New Orleans. And now I'm here and I've had my first plate of shrimp and grits from uh, Surrey's. And it was divine. I'll betcha. I will yeah. betcha. Oh, my God. Right. Where are some of the places? The The book is set there, right? It is. It is set here. So the, I guess it's sort of the tour of all of the uh, the the dark, scary places from the heavens rise. It is, kind of. But, you know, my sort of New Orleans is the – well, the dark, scary place is really on the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain. And I will be – I will have done an, an event in Covington, which is not far from uh, Madisonville, which plays a, a central role in the book. Madisonville is a tiny little town on the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain. I guess it's sort of north of the causeway. And uh, the the reason I love it, and anybody who has seen the movie The Green Lantern will have seen the location that I use in the book. There's an old push boat. And I, I tried to get the story on what the hell it's doing there, but somebody just kind of left it there in this inauspicious spot right outside of Madisonville on the coastline, and it's been gradually rusting and decaying ever since. And I give it a special significance in the book, but... In the Green Lantern, the film with Ryan Reynolds, uh -huh. which was shot mostly in New Orleans, even though they called it Coast City, the the I guess the alien that he comes into, the, the alien who gives him the Green Lantern or whatever it is, right. crashes in this spot. They oh, use yeah. this location. I remember that movie. scene. Now, now, yeah. what exactly? What's the definition of a push boat? A push boat is designed on the river, and I think it's got a flat front so that it can literally push bigger ships. It's like, I think it's the opposite of a tugboat, which drags. Is it one of those things that pushes those barges? Yes, that's it. That is it. It pushes a barge from behind, and so it's got. It's got like a completely flat bottom. It's sort of like the lower deck sits flush with the water line. And it's kind of tugboat looking. Yes, it does look like a tugboat. But it's yeah, you're right. It's got that snub nose front. I do know what you're talking about. I, I, I from seeing barges getting pushed down the river. Right, absolutely. From my halcyon youth. So, are there places that you're dying to go in New Orleans while you're there? Where are you where are you planning to go? You'll have been by the time this comes out because, you know, we have that weird sort of time travel thing. But we do. Uh, well, I went to one, and that's Suri's, which has the best shrimp and grits I've ever had in my life. I think they put cream cheese. Oh, the grits. my God. And, yeah. And I met my friend Sid Munts there this morning. Sid is a good friend who's also from the area, and he's one of the book's dedicatees. I think that's how you say it. And he <laughs> was very helpful with research. He has some property here in the area, right. and he allowed me to, to open his home to me and let me uh, stay here while I was researching oh, the book. So that so was thoughtful. really great. Exactly. Well, nice to have friends at home. It is, especially if you're going to write about home. So that's good. Uh, and then, um, I, you know, there's a lot of interviews and stuff while I'm here. So I'll get to some places. But obviously, by the time this airs, we will have attended the Lestat Ball. And we would have ha we'll have a joint book signing at Garden District Books, which is our hometown bookstore. And I keep saying it's the bookstore where she popped out of the coffin at the giant jazz funeral. I wonder if there's so, a video of that somewhere. 
We should try to find that. Shea Butters, are you listening? Yes. See if you can find video of my mother's jazz funeral. That sounds hysterical. Yeah, I think that would be fun. And I'm sure by the time we get this posted, there will also be pictures and videos from the more recent events from the Lestat Ball and from uh, from your Garden District signing. And so that should make for an exciting and full week back home. Uh, very exciting. Very do they, exciting. Do you get special treatment there like Hometown Boy Makes Good? Yeah, I think so. People seem to be excited. And and I think the interviews we've done with people are very exciting. We did an interview with Susan Larson, who used to be, I think, the major book critic for the Times-Picayune, who's now gone into radio. And she had nothing but lovely things to say about the book, which was really lovely. And you had a great review, you were telling me, in England as well, that that it's come out over there at the same time. And it's also getting um, good press in, um, in the United Kingdom. Right. The Sun, which is one of their largest tabloid papers, gave it a recommendation as a creepy and impossible to put down Halloween read. So I was very thrilled. I think that sounds like a great description. Yeah, absolutely. I said to somebody who said they couldn't put it down, well, good, because we had originally planned to make the book out of glue, but now we don't have to. Was that Jonelle? <laughs> I know Jonelle couldn't put it down. Yeah, she sure couldn't. She's a voracious reader, that Jonelle. Well, she had she to know it. what happened. She was so terrified by it. Absolutely. That Joe Absolutely. now. That Joe now. So now you're off to where's next on the tour? Dallas, Texas. So it's like the family tour continues. I was going to say, um, you've got fam- a lot of people, more people there than in New Orleans. Really, a lot of the people who used to live, uh, a lot of our family members who used to live in New Orleans now live in Dallas. Dallas is actually where my father was from. It's actually where my parents met when they were teenagers. My mother's mother died um, when she was very young, and then her father remarried, and they moved to Richardson, Texas, outside of Dallas when my mom was 14. And so we have a big connection to that area, too. So it's like a homecoming all around this trip. Oh, well, that's great. What will you be doing while you're in Dallas? We're doing an event at the Barnes and Noble, and let me consult my notes. I think I want to say Lincoln Park or Lincoln Road. Dallas is such a big city; it's almost like L.A. It's people identify with individual neighborhoods and communities. Well, I hope people will cross to, boundaries to come see you. In where is it? It can't be Lincoln Park. I think is in Chicago, isn't it? Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> isn't that Let's where the see, president where? made his acceptance speech? This is the Barnes and Noble at seventy-seven hundred West Northwest. Highway. So get Whatever your that means. out if you live in Dallas, 7700 Northwest Northwest Highway, Barnes & Noble. We will be there uh, this week. The entire schedule is at ChristopherRiceBooks.com, and Shea Butters can post it again on the uh, Facebook page. That's a good idea so that people can have contact information and get maps and directions to, exactly. to see you in Dallas. I, I was just remembering I did an event for um, – Oh, I can't remember. Some bank down there. I think it was um, First Bank or One Bank or Bank One. Was there a bank Mm. called Bank One? There was a bank called Bank One, yes. I did a big statewide event for Bank One back then. And we were were based out of Dallas, or I was. And I remember there was a building out on the road in from – into the city from the – you know, from the the airport – that they called the World Trade Center. And I thought, you know, this city does not suffer from any lack of self-esteem. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> I was like, really the doesn't. World Trade Center? What are you talking? And this was before, the, this was back when there still was one in New York. And I was, yeah. 
Well, you know, New Orleans has one, too, and it's been almost empty for about 10 years. New Orleans is the number one export port in America. So New right. Orleans actually has more of a claim to being a World Trade Center <laughs> than right. the highway driving in from the airport in Dallas. It was right. a nice building, but <laughs> oh, for God's sake. Used- my parents used to love about Dallas were the names of the roads that, that would reference geographical features that didn't exist in Dallas, like Valley Heart Drive. Like, <laughs> there's no valley here. It's flat plains. Golden Oaks Boulevard. Yeah, exactly. Right. Rolling Hills Road. Yeah, it's it's a true. But I, I, you know, I love Dallas and I love all the malls in Dallas. I just go to the malls and, you know, worship Worship the, the I God actually the only time I ever went ice skating in my entire life was at a mall in Dallas. Was it the Galleria? I have no idea. My assistant, who was an experienced hockey player and had had just about enough of me, I think, took me to see me fall on the ice <laughs> just <laughs> for a little, you know, Schadenfreude break um, from having me scream at him during the production process, and I didn't. I never fell. Great. I couldn't That's- manage to skate backwards. I kind of made some progress at it but i did not fall i think he was very disappointed that is disappointing it really is tragic no and there was it was before you know it was in the before time so there are no digital photographs of any of it so you'll just have to take my word for it i actually lived in dallas when i was a little boy did you i didn't know this you lived everywhere now i described you to these uh, lovely women i had lunch with in fort walton beach as a military brat was that true your father was working for the military wasn't he yeah that he was there was the military and then there was the ministry the ministry is what took us to um uh to dallas he was at smu to get i guess his doctor of divinity um i don't know he's a bunch of degrees um but yeah we were in dallas for uh, he went to Korea in the military, and uh, God was found God in Korea, and then he went to SMU, and I think became an atheist. Oh, uh, so apparently okay. God went back to Korea. He's since okay. he's since re- reunited with his religion, but um, we were there, you know, in school as we were many places. We we went back to Natchitoches after that, and uh, he went back to school again. I think he took his master's then. Anyway, the point was we lived there for a little while, and I remember it being quite the sort of I thought it was very cosmopolitan and glamorous. There was some big, tall building downtown that we drove down, and my mother went up to the top of, and we sat in the car. <laughs> ah, very fun. I guess kids were too young to do that, but yeah, it's a beautiful city. I, I have, I've always of of Texas. I'm not a a big Texas person. Oh, God, it's a big state. My. God, that's a big it place. is a big state. Just you can drive it, for days and still be in the state. I just think that's almost. I mean to tell you, when I moved out to L.A. the first time, because I had sort of a false start, and then I moved back later, or a few years later. But when I drove out with a good friend, and we left Louisiana at seven in the morning, and I believe we got to El Paso at one in the morning. So very little of that drive was actually in Louisiana. No, because it's small. you're out of Louisiana in an hour and a half, and then the rest is Texas. I drove all day once to get from San Antonio to El Paso because I was determined to get out of the state. I just couldn't take it anymore. I, and I've never seen people drive faster because the state is so gigantic. The mm. the the highways there, people just drive as fast as they can because they I guess they can't stand it any more than I can. I remember right, exactly. you'd see I'd be driving, you know, I'd be going 85, 90 miles an hour myself and there'd be a dot on the horizon. And then suddenly the car that was the dot would materialize off my bow and sail past me and disappear over the 
over the uh, the forward horizon, and I would think, how fast can they be going? Yeah. My yeah. God. Yeah. Because it wasn't like I was poking along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Big old state. And Dallas is a beautiful city and so cosmopolitan, uh, you know, by Texas standards. Beautiful museums and uh, gorgeous old architecture. Yeah, absolutely. Where are you staying in Dallas? I I love Dallas. I'm staying in the Turtle Creek area, which is actually where my grandmother lives. My grandmother and my aunt both live over there. And uh, it's like a chance to see family. Yes, we're having a big lunch with our family members, which should be really fun, and and it'll be great for mom. Mom has gone a while without seeing them, and I've ac- I actually saw them recently. I saw them earlier this year, uh, but I can never see them enough. So I'm happy to be doing it. So yeah, that's going to be that. And then we're home for a while, and then we go back out again. We have uh, she's going actually to you Vancouver. actually have an event here in Los Angeles, don't you? Coming up, we do on November first, or I should correct that. I think it's actually November second. It's a Saturday. At the Barnes and Noble at the Grove. Oh, at, well, I'll have to stop by for that. 2 p.m. Yeah, it's in your neighborhood Maybe after all. Maybe we can get our picture taken together. Absolutely. That's Saturday, November 2nd at 2 p.m. at the Grove at Barnes and Noble in L.A. So, yeah, we're doing that once we're back. And then she's going to Vancouver on her own, and I'm going to Toronto on my own. So we've got Canada's coast covered, respectively. Right. Bicoastal then- Canadian events. And then the last scheduled book signing of the whole tour is in Phoenix, Arizona. Well, actually, it's in Tempe, Arizona. It's at Changing Hands, which is a very popular independent bookstore in that area. And, uh, again, that's all on the schedule. And, and I that's think both of you together are part. in Tempe? That's both of us together are in Tempe. Marvelous. Yeah, Marvelous. Now, now, what's the event in Toronto? I'm taking part in a reading series with my good friend Michael Rowe, who's also a very talented oh, novelist. Michael, I love him. We were he was actually scheduled to be, if not our first guest, one of our first guests on the show, one of our twenty-five different attempts at trying to get the show on the air. I know our launch date kept getting pushed and pushed <laughs> and pushed. But now that we've got the Skype thing ironed out, we can have him on sooner rather than later. Right. But anyway, he uh, is published by a really fascinating small press up there called Cheezine, C-H-I-Z-I-N-E. And I have to say, the covers that they do for their books are some of the most incredible covers I've ever seen. If you're going to try to counter-market to the easy availability of e-books by making a beautiful, impressive book, this press does it. And also they published some really interesting genre writers, sort of fantasy, dark, sci-fi, and, and horror in general. And Michael wrote a wonderful vampire novel a few years ago called Enter Night. And he is going to um, read at the same sort of little reading series installment that I will be reading at. Excellent. And- so that will be fun. And so if you're in Toronto, you should come out and Google the Cheezine reading series and you'll find all the information. But again, the information's on the website. So that's good. So that's really it. And, you know, like we could talk about my tour some more, but I'm, I understand there are some headlines happening out in the world and you seem to be far more up on them than, oh, than, than I am. It's the same old nonsense that's going on. We've wrapped up that now we've reopened the country and we're threatening to close it down again. So that's... You know, the usual nonsense. Who's threatening to close it the down? The same again? people who closed it the last time, the people who still haven't noticed the fact that they now have like single digit approval ratings going on. Like, it is really like I, Harry Reid said, the, the majority, uh, Democratic majority leader in the, the Senate said, if they close the government again, we might actually be able to retake the House of Representatives in the midterms, which is an unheard of phenomenon, but 
it could happen. I, I just, I, it is, there is a detachment from reality. I, I think the, the, my favorite example of the, the detachment from reality that takes place in the sort of vacuum of the 24 hour internet driven news cycle and this sort of oblivious po- political politics for politics sake with a complete absence of governance um, and any sort of consideration for the welfare of the country. Um, you may have heard that the the website for the Affordable Care Act um, mm-hmm. is not doing very well. They they you know in typical fashion they had a committee. I'm sure I, I don't know this for a fact, but my experience with working with uh, uh, as a contractor for uh, government uh, contracts is RFPs is is checkered. I, we I was once commissioned to redo the. Um, the driver's manual for the state of South Carolina at an advertising agency I was working for. And uh, what they did was they handed it out to a committee of a, a dozen, at least. There were probably like 50 people, but I'm going to say a dozen. They handed the book out to a dozen people on this committee, and they all edited the book, and then they sent us all of the versions. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? And it was like, yeah. how am I even supposed to do, like, do you want to prioritize them and I'll do them in order? And so the last one in is the person who gets the most final say on, like, how is that even? Anyway, I assume it was, you know, that sort of government morass. But but the, the point is, is that the Affordable Care Act is not the website. The website mm-hmm. is a way to compare um, insurance costs on the uh you know, for the on the one of the insurance exchanges, and the mm-hmm. reason that it's having such a hard time is that tw- about half of the states run by Republican congresses and governors are refusing to set up state exchanges. They're refusing to participate at all. So the federal side is having to do the jobs that are being done in the state. In California, for instance, we're having absolutely no problems because we set up our own state exchange. Mm-hmm. Right. People log in, they find out and whatever. But so you have the combination of that sort of committee mentality of design. And you remember, we had a hell of a time getting the the dinner party show website up and running. I was saying to somebody, I, you know, we were and when we were going through that, I don't know if this is exactly equivalent to what the government's going through. Obviously we were not. looking at the experience of J.K. Rowling launching her own website, yeah. which was beset by disasters. And we were thinking, wow, if J.K. Rowling is having a hard time of it with all her resources, we you know, I remember you saying I feel better about our right. endeavors. I mean, it's a, it is a challenging thing to do. Our site is obviously less sophisticated, but it's still plenty sophisticated. We brought cast a radio show, uh, you know, right. we, there were some real problems and we managed to get them ironed out over a couple of weeks period. But to combine that with the interests of, you know, literally dozens of ignorant bureaucrats trying to get their hands on something that they can't control and the difficulty of website design in itself, along with the fact that people from 25 states it was originally designed to accommodate six and mm-hmm. is having to accommodate more than 20. Right, right, right. So there's a huge demand. Now, to be fair, apparently once it hit 2,000, it crashed. So it didn't take many people to crash the site. And I'm sure there's some real problems. But the point is you can still call and sign up for insurance. You can still apply by paper and sign up for insurance. Like all of these alternatives are still available. Right, right, right. Like it's not – 
the 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 Affordable Care Act is not a website. I'm sorry the website isn't working. It really should, but that's not the Affordable Care Act. They're not equivalent. It's like, not like these people showed up after their major surgery and found out, oh, you're not actually covered. Right. You know, we're not delivering on our promise to you, as was written in the bill. Yeah. No, I totally get that. What was also concerning to me, and I did catch some of this, was that it seemed like every contractor that didn't get the contract from the government was suddenly being trotted out to give their opinion on the radio about how the site wasn't up to snuff. And it's like, well, that's just a lot of sour grapes. You know, like you can do that about any endeavor if it's this high profile. You and, know, you know I, I think they should take their lumps for it not working, but it is not the failure of the Affordable Care Act. It is not the failure of Obamacare, if you will. Those are not the same things. It is the failure of a website, which is, I think, unfortunate. And the main reason that they think it's a problem is that young people are going to be the bulwark of this program and young people are more likely to sign up through the web. But you can still sign up. The other thing they keep saying is that the the mandate, which you have to have insurance, you know, in place by the end of next March. So you've got a mm-hmm. long time, even now. Um, and they're they're making this big thing about it. And then penalties are going to incur. One of the interesting components of the Affordable Care Act that is not being reported is that while there are, in fact, penalties um, specified if you don't get your insurance in place, there's Absolutely no enforcement in the act. In fact, it is prohibited. Enforcement is prohibited. The IRS is prohibited. The government is prohibited in its entirety from doing anything to try and collect those fines. So if you don't pay them, there are no consequences. Well, that's interesting. Why are they in there to begin with then? Because that's the the deal. Right. Right. Like if you don't get like there, it is the teeth that they've right. put in the act. If you don't get insurance, well, then, you know, the, the it's not going to work. But the fines, the penalties that, that accrue, there is no means for collecting them. In fact, the government is prohibited from collecting them. <laughs> so they can't, they can't, they, it, by law, by, according to the Affordable Care Act, they, they can't take a lien on your property. The IRS can't come out after you. They can't garnish your wages. They can't, like, literally, it literally says this word for word in the Affordable Care Act that, yes, yeah. there are penalties and no, no one can collect them. So right. I guess it's like the honor system. Okay. Okay. So, well, so we've created this. So we have this entire story about oh, the failure of, and oh, everybody's going to you know get all these penalties because through no fault of their own, and a there will be no penalties, and b it's a website. Like, call them on the phone. You can still get insurance. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not not available. The insurance is available. The Right. The, the device on the website is – so to me, that's the biggest story that's going on. There's nothing in entertainment. Kim got engaged. Oh, who gives a yeah, shit? Yeah, that's sort I, of I thought my, they were already engaged. The baby got the, – uh, the royal baby um, got christened. I thought that was maybe my favorite gossip story that's uh, going on out there. But Wow. Slow news week in Hollywood. Yeah, it's let's really, hope they buy my book for a movie. Really <laughs> has been. Here, here. Let's, let's, let's hope so. So – Have a great time in New Orleans. We'll look forward to all of those stories on next week's uh, Cocktail Chatter. Road Reports with Christopher Rice. Live from the road of the tour of his supernatural thriller, The Heavens Rise. And uh, and then, yeah, and then next week we'll have more to say about you will even have already appeared in Los Angeles by next week. Maybe you can do next week's show in the studio. 
We'll see. We'll see. You know, the joke I want to leave everyone with is when the publicist for the book in New York saw how I was eating on this tour, she said we should probably rename the tour The Heaven's Belt Line Rises. <laughs> I've been eating like a pig. Well, Oink. have some cheese grits and some shrimp grits and some beignets for me, Christopher Rice. Absolutely. I'll I will. Enjoy being home. I most certainly will. It does feel like home. You know, I love L.A. and I call that home, too. But this, there's always a part of this that's going to feel like home to me. So much of your childhood was spent there. And so much of your book, The Heavens Rise, is set there. So home, but a little creepy. <laughs> exactly. My home was creepy. <laughs> Prince of Darkness. Absolutely. All right, my darling. Well, it's great to talk to you. It's great to have the party people here with us. Uh, thanks for listening. This um, this has been a very special edition of the Dinner Party Show, Road Reports edition with Christopher Rice from his book tour for the supernatural thriller, The Heavens Rise. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And I'm Christopher Rice. And thank you all so much for listening. We'll, uh, we'll be back right here uh, next week.